Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Lowe. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. On this episode is legendary funny car racer Ron Caps and sportsman champion Austin Williams. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that pro stock car. We're talking nitro funny cars and stock eliminator. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace. This is the NHRA Insider. And the wildest day in the history of this category is finally complete. Time for another weekly edition of the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. I am your intrepid and homebound host, Brian Loans. Hopefully all of you out there are maintaining your health and I guess still maintaining your social distance from anybody that uh, anybody that may be out there running around trying to get you sick. It has been as uh, it has been over the last several weeks. Pretty quiet week in the world of NHRA drag racing. There are some drag trips operating around the country on a limited basis. Guys uh, having test sessions with very tight controls regarding people getting their temperatures taken at the gate and stuff like that. But by and large, most racetracks across the United States are still dormant. NHRA officials I know are working hard behind the scenes to secure and monitor the situation as far as NHRA drag racing goes. The schedule still says we're planning on starting in Gainesville the first weekend in June. Whether or not that happens will be decided and really determined, I suppose, over the next couple weeks. But as best I know as I sit here today, that is still the plan as stated and as published. Over the course of the last week, we had some great content on NHRA.com and the NHRA social media channels from our NHRA Rewind Live with Clay Milliken and Stevie Fast and Andrew Hines last week. Had some great interviews and conversations with the likes of Matt Hagan, uh, Leah, Scott Palmer, Robert Height, and others, and we'll be continuing to generate that content this week as well. National Dragster is free for all right now, so you can go to NHRA.com forward slash ND and read the entire issue of National Dragster, whether you are an NHRA member or not. In terms of the schedule stuff, the Lucas Oil schedule came out about a week or so ago. Uh, just a few days ago, the Heritage Series schedule was released as well. So if you're a fan or a racer of the NHRA Heritage Series, make sure you pay attention to what the listings are there. Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series schedule has been revised and released. Same can be said for E3 Spark Plugs Pro Mod Series, Mickey Thompson Top Fuel Harley Series, and the Mountain Motor Pro Stocks as well. Basically, we're all in the same boat here, as everybody says. We're all in this together, and as far as drag racing goes, well, that's definitely doubly the truth. Have been able to catch up with the likes of Dominic Lagana and Billy Stockland, some great conversations with them on the last episode of the show. And on this episode, I have Ron Caps and Austin Williams, and Ron Caps has been relentlessly eye-racing, been relentlessly promoting his sponsors and keeping his nose to the grindstone for his responsibilities. Looking forward to talking to him about what he's been up to and how he's been able to keep himself occupied and busy. And of course, Austin Williams, a multiple-time sportsman drag racing world champion, a guy who won Stock Eliminator in one of the most dramatic fashions possible at the U.S. Nationals last year with that perfect reaction time hole shot on a very late Monday night final round. It was a great uh, way for him to close out another win in his awesome career, but Austin Williams is a fun guy to talk to. We're going to talk to him about sportsman drag racing, becoming a champion, the mentality he keeps, and how he keeps it fun, because this guy's not only a great racer, but he's also a guy who's got a great sense of humor and a genuine love for all things in the world of drag racing. We're going to dork out a little bit with him and have some fun here on the podcast as well. We're going to get things kicked off with Ron Caps first, but I really need to recognize some of the hard work that's going on behind the scenes. There is a lot of great content uh, that has been hitting and will continue to hit uh, on NHRA social media channels. As I mentioned, we got some great new NHRA Nitro time machines coming, 
And the one thing I want to you know stress to all of you that are listening is that uh, those of us behind the scenes are uh, really busting our butts to bring you the best stuff that we can and to keep you kind of on the up, you know, keep your keep you smiling, keep your chin up a little bit and uh, keep NHRA drag racing as a part of your uh, as a part of your lives here while we wait to start the season again. It's been a cool time for us to get creative and to try some new things. And there are people behind the scenes. There's a guy named Rob Hedrick who is um, in charge of what we would call, I guess, post-production at NHRA. He's a big part of our, our broadcast team. He's not a guy that you see in front of the camera, but he is technologically like a wizard. And when we do an NHRA Rewind Live or when we build some of these really cool segments and pieces that you're seeing, um, Rob is really one of the guys instrumental in making that stuff. Some of the graphic packages that you see um, on these things, which are blow, blow you away professional, he is doing. Uh, if you could only see the inside of where Rob lives, his apartment in Los Angeles, you would you would be astonished to see um, a huge array of production equipment that he has liberated from the Wally Park studio, brought to his place, of course, with everybody's consent, and has been using it um, in ways that I'm not sure even he knew he was able to use it in to make all the stuff that's going on. And uh, this is certainly not a show about me, nor will it ever be. But I wanted to kind of bring you guys a little bit behind the scenes as to as to what happens and what we've been doing. We have a phone call every day. It's a content phone call. We talk about what John Kernan's working on in Indy, what I'm working here uh, on here in Boston, what Nikki and our social department is working on in her end, what uh, Steve Reinches, our, our kind of overriding boss, is working on, what the marketing department's working on. And the end result is we make a plan that it gets talked about every single day and we crank out the content for you to, to for you to listen to or see or participate in every week. And, you know, these ideas um, continue to change and continue to evolve and they will over the next couple of weeks. And I feel like we have some stuff coming that honestly, you probably wouldn't have seen ever, but we've been given the opportunity to stretch our legs a little bit to get more creative in a time when we have to be creative. And so what that's going to do is, um, is going to kind of change. It's going to it's going to bring you some neat stuff that maybe you didn't expect us to be able to create, especially during these times when we're all spread out across the country working remotely. So without that with that diatribe over, I want to get into speaking with Ron Caps as he is our first guest on the show this week. Ron, of course, Nitro Funny Car World Champion, driving that Napa SRT Charger Hellcat Dodge bodied machine, and right now he's virtually driving all over the country and all over the world in i racing, competing with some of the biggest names in the world of digital and real life racing. So, Ron Caps, welcome back to the NHRA Insider Podcast. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. I just woke up. <laughs> just rolled out of bed. Can hear the waves <laughs> lapping in the background. No, it's beautiful. Well, yeah, a cup of coffee and I'm good to go. But yeah, we uh, we're trying to treat this like uh, like we're traveling, like we're on the road. So sometimes we we'll have movie nights with the kids. Obviously, we're all bunked up together like everybody else in the world. But um, yeah, so we uh, we did the Jack Ryan five episodes last night, and we're up a little late. Oh, nice little binge watch action. I like it. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to start uh, talking to you about today is the fact that, you know, you are, I kind of put you in a class, uh, your own class, really, of how you work with Napa in drag racing. I think, you know, you're, you're tireless for them. You do a lot of work for them. And you have, even in this downtime through iRacing, which you've been involved in for years, managed to, I think, do probably a better job for your sponsor than maybe anybody else has at this point. So talk to me a little bit about the value of what you're doing in iRacing, and then we'll get into the entertainment of it. 
Well, it just, uh, you know, is the flight home from Gainesville, to be honest with you. I landed like everybody else did on Thursday, and uh, we got the news they were canceling the race. And I actually had a nap at dinner downtown uh, that we do every year with a bunch of bunch of customers and local uh, garage owners. And we ended up having that dinner anyway, and I flew back Friday. So the whole day Friday back to California, I was thinking, okay, they just canceled this race. There's a chance they're going to cancel the next one. At that point back then, nobody really knew how bad it was going to get yeah. as far as being closed and hunkered down and, and uh, where we're at today. So I, I just started running through my head, sitting on the plane, what I could do to uh, to help stay relevant with our sponsor. I mean, obviously, they sponsor a lot of different things, but they also are, are involved, in, and I'm always doing stuff. So that's just kind of what started with the electronic signature thing, um, you know, doing that to begin with where I was taking – our hero cards for the, the fans that couldn't make it to Gainesville and signing them uh, via my phone and my editing tool and sending them back to people. And, and that was just something that kind of got started and, um, you know, little things like that. And then the iRacing I'd been involved with, and I just had no idea, uh, you know, I knew I'd be home and I knew I could jump on iRacing more because I really hadn't had a chance, been so busy. And then I thought, hey, I know a couple people that can paint the cars in there and they're so realistic. I'm going to get them painted from the guy that painted our funny car, that designed our funny car. So that started the whole World of Outlaws sprint car thing I did on Fox Sports 1 where he painted up my sprint car to look just like our funny car with all the same sponsors. And then that turned into the next thing that we did with the dirt cars, and just it kept going. So I feel like, and and honestly, Brian, it's funny because we get these social media, I guess, agencies that help us out, and they keep track of how good we're doing for our sponsors and this last month i got the report and it was almost as much exposure as our normal racing and people are seeing it more they're home more they watch social media they're watching us race on on fs1 on wednesday nights even though it's i racing and yet the numbers came back and it was over a million views it was uh just you know so things like that I just I, I i just wanted to keep doing what i could for napa i've been doing a lot of videos some of our fans have seen, some may not see, but all these local Napa Auto Care and, and auto, auto stores across the country, I've been doing these videos for um, for them because they're staying open. And just simple selfie videos saying, hey, it's Ron Caps. Uh, you know, we're still open. You need auto parts, come on down. We just want to make sure we take care of the customers. Little things like that. So that's been pretty much every day for me. And, uh, Besides the iRacing, I've been doing a lot of the, the Napa stuff, and, you know, it's a weird time, but, you know, our fans, Twitter, Instagram, social media with Facebook, it's all, uh, it's just been amplified, it seems like, since everybody's home all day. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, there's, a, you know, a lot of scenarios in life, this one being, you know, a, a very strange one, obviously, but, like, so many scenarios in life where it seems like, oh, this is a time to, you know, take your foot off the gas a little uh, it is actually a time to put the throttle down, and that's what you've done. And it's amazing for me to hear. It's not totally unsurprising for me to hear, but it's awesome to hear that the reports you're getting back on the metrics of how you're still interacting and how people are still seeing, uh, you know, what you're doing with Napa out there in the world is is awesome because it, uh, you know, everybody wants to see their work kind of pay off, and that's a great payoff for you to get to to get those numbers. And you know, honestly, you know, dealing with the guys at Fox Sports like I do. I mean, they've been blown away by the response. You know, nobody knew if anyone was going to watch iRacing, right? Nobody knew that if they would sit, if people would sit in their living room and watch the events. And it turns out 
Uh, they do. <laughs> me, me included. Yeah. And I guess from your perspective, being a participant in these things, I'd like to hear from your side of the your side of the fence. Um, it has to be kind of surreal, but I imagine the more you do this, the kind of more fun it gets, or is it the more intense it gets? How is that going? Well, I've always been a nervous wreck when I'm racing <laughs> these other guys. And I'll log in. You know, I was practicing last night. We're at Talladega, and I'm out with a pack of like 20, and there's Dale Earnhardt Jr. to my right. Kyle Busch in front, Kevin Harvick up ahead of him, all these different guys. There's a bunch of spotters in NASCAR that are racing on it. TJ Majors, uh, Kevin Hamlin, all these guys that spot for NASCAR guys, and a bunch of NASCAR. Bobby Labonte's like bumping me from behind, and I'm, and I'm, I am so white, clenched fisted on the steering wheel and holding my breath, and and you know you you take a minute, and you think I'm on a game, but the cool thing is, you know, really like the prelude of the dream dirt race I did all those years. The fun part about that was showing up that afternoon and spending time with all these guys that I don't get to see a lot. And, you know, I see on TV when I watch them, they see us on TV when they watch our drag racing. Once in a while, your sponsor appearances cross paths and I'll run into one of these guys, you know, one of those things. But the cool thing last night, you know, we're waiting uh, to make the run and I, you know, Dale Earnhardt, we're all talking to each other. And while you're driving, I can hear each other talking. Kyle Busch is asking a question while we're in the middle of turn one with eight cars around you. And so <laughs> it, it's, it's fun, but what the cool part for me was to hear some of these guys say they're more nervous than they are in their normal race cars, which I felt the same way. So uh, the first Wednesday night, Fox Sports, one thing we did, I, I know Frank from, from Fox Sports, they didn't know what was going to happen with it. Well, the numbers came back the next day, and it was 100,000 people tuned in to watch us on a Wednesday night. It was up 58% over their normal programming yep. for that Wednesday <laughs> night, the previous Wednesday night. So those kind of numbers were like, whoa, okay, now let's take it a step further. So it's just been blown up. The NASCAR on Sunday, the IndyCars on Saturday. It's just been fun. For me, I've been doing it with iRacing on a, on a small scale, but – in our off season, or maybe if I'm home for a couple of days, I'll jump online. And the cool thing about iRacing is anybody can get on with a steering wheel clamp to their desk and a small monitor, and you can race with me or Dale Earnhardt Jr. or Kevin Harvick or you name it. You go down the list. Any given time, you'll see somebody on there, and you'll hop in a race and um, and, and race with them. So it, it's always been that kind of thing for me. It's just it's been a really strange. Like I'm hanging up with you, and my day, I almost have the same itinerary as if I would – go to a drag race i have two races i got to practice for we have a wednesday night fox sports uh race coming up that they're going to do something special and i've got to practice for a sprint car race tonight and it gets it's crazy because my wife goes what do you got going on today and i got a calendar with an itinerary just like my pr person would send me of all the stuff that i have to do out in the garage on my simulator and it's almost like i'm putting my tie on and my fire suit and i'm going to to work so um i'm kind of making it you know making it seem like you know i'm waking up and going racing yeah and i think you know it's hey mentally i'm sure that's pretty healthy man i know speaking for myself like you know thankfully uh i got a lot of stuff going on you know behind the scenes with nhra we're making a lot of different content making the podcast and stuff like that and um i i i'm super thankful to have that like i'm I'm the type of guy that you know i need some sort of thing happening you know in order to keep my keep my wits about me and i feel like you're the same way so to have this is kind of a i don't want to say a structure but to have to have this as something that's a constant kind of in a, in a daily or weekly basis, it's got to be helpful because, you know, otherwise you're just kind of scratching uh, hash marks on the wall, right? Yeah. I, I'm just, you take the words right out of my mouth. I mean, that's, that's the way every day has been. 
and, and you know, it's, um, it, again, we're going to pop out of this thing at the other side and we're going to look back and it's going to be craziness, but I didn't want to be somebody that when this is all over and we get back to racing and uh, sponsorships are up for renewals, which some of ours are, I didn't want, um, and this was another thought I had flying back from Gainesville. I didn't want this two months of whatever we want to call it for a sponsor to, to look down their list and go, okay, we had a renew with our IndyCar or NASCAR or whatever we do with, with ads, with radio, whatever they do with that company. I want them to go, Whoa, okay. Uh, this drag racing deal with Ron, uh, we want to make sure we take care of that. Put that on the side. That's fine. That's going to be up for renewal because of what they did uh, through the downtime to, to for extra effort, you know. So that's been my motivation every day, and it's always been that way with my sponsors. I've known you for a long time, and yeah. I wake up and I go to. I, I feel like I go to work for Napa, you know. That's my sponsor now, and I feel like I, I go to work as a salesman, you know, until I get in a race car, and I've always done that with our sponsors and. So, uh, you know, Penn's Oil and all these other sponsors we have, I've been sending out emails saying, hey, how can I help? Can I send a video out to all your employees for uh, a little morale boosters? And so a lot of that's been stuff I've been doing on, on my downtime. But, uh, yeah, it's been been crazy like everybody else. But I, I, I've really had a lot of fun listening to your podcasts and other shows and catching up on things I never would have had time for. So I want to get into the uh, to the good stuff now, and and uh, when we talk about coming back, and this is all, of course, theoretical because we're not back yet, but eventually we'll get there. Um, as has been the the big topic of conversation, you know, countdowns out the window this year. It's going to be a straight up kind of points chase, and you know, you're you're one of the guy the guys that have have existed on both sides of this fence. You run for the straight points. You've run in the countdown era. I guess my first question for you is. Uh, do you feel as though you got an advantage in some le- on some level here because of the team that you have and the fact that you know your guys are battle hardened and when this thing picks back up again, it is going to be like an avalanche in terms of the workload to get things uh, going and then to keep up the pace. Yeah, it's going to be. You know, I can't wait because yeah, it's going to be condensed. It's going to be frantic. We're going to have some two day races, which is something I think that we're going to evolve you know, to pretty much from here on out, I think, anyway, uh, there's going to be a lot of different things. But I, you know, you've been around me and, and my crew and my crew chief um, in the pit area after the racing's over. I've got a pretty special group of guys that work on our race car. And you don't very often, for the fans listening, you don't very often have race team members that hang out at night or away from the racetrack or afterwards at dinner. Um, and my guys do, and it's it's special. Most of the time, crew guys are so sick of each other being around and traveling <laughs> and staying with each other and rooming with each other, they don't even want to see each other. So uh, I've always admired my crew guys, and, and so I I love when we're put in situations that are, that are not normal, whatever it might be. 100-degree temperatures in Norwalk, Ohio, and people are complaining. I'm like, let's bring it on, man. I got a crew chief that loves that. I got a crew that won't complain about it and I get up for getting in the seat and, and getting motivated. So we're going to see some situations that are going to be crazy. I talked to Glenn, um, the president of NHRA last week. He's staying on top of, you know, talking to team members and drivers and owners. And we talked about some pretty cool stuff. They've got good plans. Um, and we'll see what happens. If a race doesn't happen, they're going to slot them in, even if it comes to putting, you know, let's say Sonoma, if there's a California law that we can't run that race at that time. They might stick that in between Vegas and Pomona. And so a lot of weird stuff that, that could be adverse to what we're normal, you know, schedule might be. 
But I told him, I go, hey, listen to this. How about Charlotte and Vegas? No four wide, right? We missed them both. How about making qualifying on Friday, run the four wides on Saturday, and then based on qualifying from Friday, run the two day, uh, the two lane race on Sunday. And that way we get a four wide race out of the way that the fans would have come to see on one day. And we get a regular race out of the way on Sunday as a two lane race. And, you know, so little things like that we talked about that he was, you know, he said he's talked to his marketing people and, you know, so we're going to have other things thrown at us before the season's over. And, um, so I'm looking forward to it, man. Racing every weekend. I think the fans are going to love seeing uh, NHRA on the TV Friday, Saturday nights, Sundays, every weekend. And uh, and then we'll just uh, blast on through. And whatever ends up happening in Hollywood on Monday night, it's going to be a pretty special deal for somebody, whoever wins each category, to stand up there and be the champion of this this. 2020 season because it's going to be in the record books yeah there's like stuff to me it's like there's no way you know championships are championships but the 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 four professional category and sportsmen the sportsman champions anybody that hoist a big wally at the end of this year like this one's not going to get topped in terms of the fish the whale story you get to tell (laughs) 20 years down the road about (laughs) what happened because you know as you said like there's there's gonna be people that don't adapt to this well because there always is. You're gonna have two group in my mind. You're gonna have two kind of distinct groups of people. You're gonna have the teams that are able to handle this this craziness that's gonna come at it from all sides, and it's gonna be teams that can't. And that's gonna make this even more special because when you get to the end of this and you've actually not only not only beaten the competition but kind of beaten the odds in terms of you know all the the delays and everything else that's gone on. Like nothing is gonna be better than that for for the people that pull it off. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm uh, I always brag. Since 2012, I was put together with Ron Tobler, and we've won an, an amazing amount of number of races together as a team, as well as the, the team that, that he had that's still my team this day. So, one thing I've always bragged about Tobler and just at, you know, kind of adapting so quick. He's very very organized, and I think a lot of the fans, you know, you have crew chiefs that go up there and they throw down low ET and you know, record-breaking runs here and there. I've always bragged because Tobler, we don't veer too far out of the forest. In other words, we may not be low ET, but you're going to have to go through us on Sunday to win a race. And, you know, it's just something that's fun to get up in the morning, go to the track, and and just listen to what the plan is and come together as a team. And I always love that about Ron Tobler. And he's so well-organized. He thinks about everything so far ahead, even stuff he doesn't need to think about at times. But that's what makes it so fun to get up and go racing. And it's all, I don't have another job. You know, there's a lot of racers out there, a lot of team owners, a lot of other drivers that have businesses at home. And it's their fun thing to get away from their, their Monday through Friday businesses and go racing. I have been, you know, I don't have anything else to do. So this is what I've done. And luckily I had that, that nine years I worked for Don Perdome because that's the way he came up in the sport. And that's the way his mentality has always been. And, uh, and it's really rubbed off on me, and I, I love that part of, of going and competing. So I think, you know, the best part about hearing something from fans or fellow racers is the fact that they follow you and they're a fan of yours because they love how you just love to race. You don't care about there's money. They're, they're, you just want the trophy. You, you, that's all there is, you know what I mean? So I, I, I feel like... Um, this is going to fall perfectly into our lap. I know there's a lot of other teams feel the same way, but it's going to be it's going to be fun. 
As far as points uh, and counting points, you know, really you've, anybody that's been in a championship championship hunt has only had to have been tr- to be to be truly neurotic during the countdown, right? You only really had to lay there staring at the ceiling if you're in the top ten over the course of the last six races at night. But now it's different. So, you know, how is this going to be a little bit of a mental readjustment for you? Because you've been there before. You understand that, you know, when you start having a round-by-round tally count that actually doesn't get reset after Indy, it's a different kettle of fish. So I guess, do you, do you have to reset your mentality to back when we didn't have a countdown? Is there a mentality change? Or do you really have to just, I don't want to say ignore it, do you have to force that out of your mind? I mean, talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I think uh, there's times I love the countdown, times I don't. I don't love the countdown. The first year of the countdown, we probably would have won my first championship for sure because we were leading the points by 200 something points uh, before they reset it. And you know, I hadn't won a championship at that point. I was like, oh great, first year of the countdown, <laughs> I'm finally going to win a championship, and now they're going to reset it. And we ended up losing the championship that year. Um, so it's the, the, the championship countdown mentality is something, uh, the fans, I know that fans love it and some hate it. And it's always been something that you, if you're fifth, sixth, seventh in points, you struggled through Brainerd in the summer month. You're so happy to see the countdown. <laughs> um, so I, I just think it's an extended countdown, whatever ends up happening, because I think we're going to get Florida. I think we're going to get Gainesville, Houston. I don't know. It just, it so depends on these States. Yeah. Um, that if we do miss a race, they're going to have to stick that race in later on. And there's two dates open, what would have been our countdown months, that are going to be open for these races if they get canceled. There's a chance we may not race Chicago. I mean, who knows what's going to happen in these states. So we may get a few in and then all of a sudden have to sit at home because the state says we can't go in there and race. And the fans have to understand, and I talked to Glenn about this, IndyCar and NASCAR, especially NASCAR, they're about to go to work. They, they are driven off TV money, yeah. and I'm, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. They, they are dependent on that money. They don't need the fans, so they're going to run races without fans, and they're going to get on TV, and that's where their revenue comes from. NHRA does not get the money from TV like that. It's gate money. It's our fans, and that's why we're so rabid about thanking our fans and, and going overboard and keeping the pits open for fan interaction. That's what drives us. That's what I get paid that's what drives NHRA. So we we possibly, I guess, could have Gainesville with no fans or limited amount of fans because NHRA owns that track. But you can't go to Houston. You can't go to these other tracks right. that are owned by families if they can't get the gate money. So um, that's going to hold us back a little bit, I think, until things get going. But I, I, I don't think, to answer your question, it's probably going to be a, a good thing for most teams to have this just run straight through on points and uh, – Listen, we're still going to be nervous as heck in Vegas because it's going to be one or two races from Pomona. We're still going to wake up in Pomona on Sunday morning, and it's going to be points and a half. Yep. Um, I think it is anyway. I, I don't think I believe they clarify so. whether that will be. Yeah, so it's still going to be the crazy Pomona if you're within earshot of somebody, either in the lead or behind them, that things can change on Sunday at Pomona. So I, I'm looking forward to the difference, but I, I think it's going to be fun to have an extension of the countdown or – a limited season however you look at it all right two more questions and i'll let you go first question which restaurant do you miss the most not being able to visit during this time uh on the road or at home at home <laughs> uh we have a, a place called pacific coast grill where I, we did the fox interview after we won the championship and uh, amanda Buzik uh 
came and interviewed me and the family, and it's right on the beach, amazing food. Uh, you actually sit out on the sand and watch the waves, and uh, that's probably the, the place we're going to go first and have a, a margarita uh, and eat when this thing's all over. And then the second question is, uh, do you have a developed takeout routine yet? Have you been doing like the once-a-week takeout or the twice-a-week takeout? If so, where is it coming from? <laughs> yeah, we've got a Mexican place. Of course, I live in San Diego area, so we've got a Mexican place that's a drive through called Cody Han, and everybody goes. I, I, I got friends from L.A. that will drive down an hour and a half to go to this place. So um, we'd probably do that once a week. they got amazing carne asada burritos and tacos, and it's just – it's. Uh, it's so good. It's making my mouth water right now. And we've doing we've done that at least once a week. My daughter's boyfriend goes there probably every night, and uh, and so it's hard to smell that when he brings it in the house. We have a rotation going here, and uh, for for two weeks straight, it has been uh, the boys have chosen Taco Bell, which is uh, which is come on, man, you got to do better than that. But that's we're, we're working through it. You know how it goes. We'll we'll figure it out. <laughs> but hey, man, I appreciate you taking the time. Good luck uh, on this week's iRacing adventure. We we'll look forward to watching you on Wednesday night. Um, I will not spill the beans on what your formats will be. I got an advance notice on that, but I'll keep my mouth shut. Two very different styles of racing, both of which you love. So I hope you do well. Yeah, it's going to be crazy, and uh, keep up the post, and I love uh, your old school posts on uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, uh, some of that really stuff that I never I never really known, and uh, I always look forward to that, so please don't stop doing that. Hey, I will not, because it keeps me sane. <laughs> Thanks, Ron. <laughs> I'll see you All soon, right, man. man, and uh, yeah, good luck iRacing, I'll see you soon. Thanks, Ron. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Always fantastic to catch up with Ron Capps, a great champion in NHRA drag racing and a guy that uh, certainly has his head in the right place in terms of what he's doing during this downtime. Now we're going to catch up with Austin Williams, a guy who is a multiple-time Lucas Oil drag racing world champion, uh, a multi—I mean, a national event winner all over the country, U.S. Nationals winner, and a guy who uh, loves the sport of drag racing maybe almost as much as I do. Austin Williams, welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast. I'm doing okay. Just uh, living the quarantine life. How's it going for you? <laughs> it's the same thing, man. Different part of the country, but the same uh, same program up here in Massachusetts. Man, one of the reasons I wanted to catch up with you um, is because... You know, I'm, I'm really interested in talking to, to more sportsman racers here on the podcast. And, you know, you're a guy that manages to balance fun and success. And I don't know if, if anybody does it quite as well as you do you're, you're not a guy that i ever see really uptight at the racetrack you're always having fun but you also manage to turn that into wins so i want to talk first a little bit about that maintaining the mentality of having fun enjoying the sport and also being a winner yeah absolutely i mean first and foremost um we do this for fun right i mean it, it, there is some sort of business aspect to it and everyone likes to win but as soon as this stops becoming fun you know it shouldn't be doing it anymore but um you know, I cherish my time at the racetrack, and that's my family out there, which I'm pretty sure everybody's had a similar sentiment uh, before. But, you know, it's just it's a good time out there. And then now in uh, this quarantine deal, you realize not to take it for granted anymore um, going forward either. Oh, that's a, that's a fact, man. It's like um, – and it's funny too because I find myself missing maybe different elements. You know, it's like every once in a while like someone would be like, oh, man, I can't wait to do that particular thing again or I can't wait to see this thing or visit that city. For you, outside of the – you know, outside of the fun and hijinks you have with your friends out there, I mean, what are the things you're missing about, uh, you know, about the sport and about being out running the car? Well, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, the competition aspect, you know, all the friends and stuff, but, like, just the chance to get away from your normal life, and it's almost like going onto an island, uh, in a way, because... (laughs) It is. Because you get away from your business, your work-related things, for three or four days, and you just are kind of in our own little world, and uh, besides that, you know, the other thing I miss is all of the great racetrack food, because, like, you can go to different places and get certain things at certain places and uh i don't know there's just eating the same things at home uh <laughs> during this uh during this downtime uh, i need some some good concession stand racetrack food uh, one of the things that's been kind of funny to look at, you know, and a lot of like comedians and stuff have commented on it, the fact that, you know, these people go into a, a food store and the, the shelves are completely bare except for the shrimp flavored ramen. Have you you've not had to resort to shrimp flavored ramen yet, have you? No, no, there is ramen. <laughs> there is ramen in the household, but not shrimp flavored. <laughs> no one in America has the shrimp flavored ramen. It is all still at the grocery <laughs> store. So if it gets real bad, you can you can throw some elbows around and get out there and do that. Um, yeah. You know, you're a, a multi-time champion in the Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series, and I guess one of the things that comes along with that is a question that I think you probably get asked, maybe not, but once you've climbed that mountain once or twice as you have what keeps you motivated you know what keeps you motivated to go back and try to do it again uh in today's society i think parody is so prevalent even in i think the pro classes there's a ton of parody in the sportsman classes i think it's even magnified even more than that because you know technology's evolved and you know everybody is competitive so even turning, even winning one race, let alone has become a uh, milestone every year, let alone to put together a season of a good five to 10 races and be able to, to accomplish something. So there's still a few things that I want to get done. And, and, you know, I have goals that I write down every year and I just try and, and meet those the best way I can. But the parity and the competition nowadays and what it takes to get these wins and eventually championships is what uh, makes me continue to drive and, and get out there and support these races. Yeah, that's great, man. You know, one of the things I'd like to get across to people who may not be as familiar with the mentality or the competitive aspect of, of sportsman drag racing is, you know, mentally preparing yourself to do what you guys do is is far different than, you know, the, a top field driver, a funny car driver, whatever. They have their own setup. But when you go to a race and you are bottom bulb style foot brake drag racing against uh, at times up to 100 other people trying to do the same thing in your class, walk people through what it requires in terms of your sharpness, in terms of your preparation, in terms of you succeeding. Yeah, it's it's a full 1,320 foot concentration, not only in your lane, but in the opposite lane as well. So you've got a, there's so many different, um, different aspects to the style of racing we do, uh, because you're looking in the other lane, you're trying to plan for your opponent. Whereas like in the pro categories, you generally run in your lane and hope that it's good enough to be in the other lane. And that's not necessarily a bad way to race in the sportsman classes, but you've got to figure out exactly where your opponent is on the track um, in relation to where you are. Um, and then, I mean, not just on the track, uh, you've got to come up with plans on how to race against that person um, before you stage. So, I mean, there's just so much involved in the mental aspect 
um, in the bracket style racing or even the index. Super comp is bracket racing, in my sure. opinion. You just have a set dial in. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's just so much that goes into planning and, and how you're going to give someone a different look than the last time you raced them because your dial ins may be similar to what they were the last time you raced them, but you may want that race to look completely different and try and induce a mistake on your opponent. So, in more ways than in sportsmen than the pro categories, I think the mental aspect of, racing and trying to turn on a wind light in different ways is is way harder than the actual um tuning and um racing of the car itself you know and you can agree or disagree with this and i'm really interested in your opinion because you are you know you are so deep into this world and, and you've been so successful but as mechanical technology has advanced and, and racers have more access to data acquisition and they have more access to, to analyze the performance of themselves and their race car. I almost feel like the mental ability of racers has increased over the years as well, meaning that a guy who was a really good stock eliminator racer in, let's say, 1997, I don't think has the same tools or the ability if he has not evolved his his approach to compete with guys like you today. I, I just think that over the years, it's like sharpening a sword. Like you guys have taken this thing to another level to the point where unless you are, unless you are really willing to put in the time and effort, you know, you're not going to see a world champion by mistake in stock eliminator, right? You're, you're going to be somebody who is putting in the effort, not only to maintain their equipment, but this mental aspect of, of sportsman drag racing, you know, guys like, I listen to guys like Luke Bugaki talk and I listen to other guys. It's, it's incredibly psychological. Yeah, absolutely. And Luke's a great example because he's kind of armed everyone for the future with his, these different drag racing schools that have evolved over the years. And so people have more access to, learning from um, the best racers. And like one of my favorite quotes, and I think Brad Burton is the one that come up with it. And he said, if you really think about it, the time we spend on track is about maybe five minutes a day, but your days are 14 hours long at the racetrack. So the mental part is way more important than the racing part. And so that always stood out to me whenever I read that. And beyond that, I mean, you talk about, you know, racing has evolved, but I like to equate it to like, say track and field, right? So like world records keep getting broken. Why? Because technology, because people are working harder. They've learned how to train better, right? I mean, it's the same in regular athletic sports as it is in our racing, especially when you combine it, like you said, with the hard work and the mental aspect of it. Yeah, it's 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 really neat. You know, I I always joke about how I was, you know, I have the worst bracket racer that ever lived, and I kind of was for the years I raced with my dad locally at New England <laughs> Dragway, and I loved it. And you know, at the time, I never really understood like why were these guys just killing me every week? Like, why was this? You know, I, I you know I got a good head on my shoulders. I'm not an idiot. It's just like man, I couldn't put it together. And you know, after after changing my roles in the sport and and you know analyzing what was happening in front of me and trying to tell stories and trying to talk to fans, I finally figured it out that these guys actually showed up to the racetrack to win the race, and I showed up to the racetrack to have a good time. And and there's nothing wrong with either of those approaches, but the guy who actually shows up with a plan in the morning is going to beat the guy who's there to have a good time basically 100 times out of 100, as I learned. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it all goes into how much you really want it. And um, some people want it really bad, and then they work for it. So um, it just I like to 
have both the good time and the and the winning hopefully yeah and that's what and that's why I, that's why i love talking to you because it's uh you've managed to do the two things you've managed to do both things and uh and that's really cool so you know you mentioned brad burton's quote you know five minutes on the racetrack a, a, a you know 12 14 hour day nothing in your career shows that better than the 2019 u.s nationals and you know that that race it's funny um a little inside baseball for the people listening like at a drag race you can you can make several predictions of how a drag race gets operated and at the u.s nationals on wednesday we had a delayed start because the parking situation was a mess and it set the race back five or six hours i think before starting on on wednesday yeah. and i was talking to mike rice and i said to mike i said how late do we finish this thing on monday night and he looked at me, he said, oh, I know. And the, the reality is, you know, for those of you at home, like when you're five hours late on a Wednesday, you're guaranteed to basically be that late on a Sunday. And that's exactly what happened. So the final round of stock eliminator at the U.S. Nationals, you are in the, you are in the staging lanes. What time was it? Uh, I believe it was around 10 o'clock at night, um, something like that. I mean, we had, we had ran, I believe, third round no second round of stock eliminator out of seven rounds we ran second round at 8 a.m monday morning and then i think we ran the final at 10 p.m something like that so there were six rounds that day there were six rounds that day and for you as a driver is that preferable and and i i know in terms of a grueling you know physical nature it's crazy but in terms of finding your spot and getting yourself locked and loaded is six rounds in a day good for you or bad for you um, it could go either way. Um, as far as uh, if you split the rounds up like um, over multiple days, right, it could go either way that way as well, right? So by having a new round kind of every day, if you've planned well enough, then you may be able to execute better than the person in the other lane. At the same time, you may get more variables than you realize and it and you're not adequately prepared for it. So with the six rounds a day, um, it you could find yourself in a groove and get going and all of that, but also so could the other guy in the other lane. So, I mean, it, it just varies. Um, it's very situational. And if you're feeling it that day, you're feeling it. So the final round was spectacular. It was a heads up race. Uh, you won the race with a perfect reaction time. Um, and I guess, you know, the 10 to 15 minutes leading up to that race, if you can, if you can talk me through that period where, you know, you know, you've made the final, you have to be pretty exhausted at this point. You've been going, you've been going for more than 12 hours on and off in and out of the race car, making sure stuff's uh, up to snuff. So that 10 to 15 minutes before you run the final, kind of walk me through that time period. Yeah. So, um, the previous round in the semis, I also had a heads up. So we actually had to get ready for the heads up in the semis as well. Luckily for us, I had had the lightweight oil um, in the car all weekend, you know, just to qualify at Indy and, and run class and all of that. So I had the lightweight oil already in there. So for us to get ready for a heads-up run, it mostly included icing down intake, um, the heads, like getting everything as cool as possible, using the chiller to circulate the coldest water possible throughout um, the radiator and the block. And then just, you know, remove as much weight as possible and try and chill down the fuel and um, and all of that. But, you know, I, it actually started after I won with 16 cars left. Um, because So now I'm down to eight cars, and I know the way the ladder plays out. I was like, everything's shut down. It's late at night. 
we've got to find ice somewhere because the concession stands closed. I mean, you're talking about three and four hours after the pros had ran the finals. And so we had to find ice somewhere. So I was trying to prepare, you know, around early. Um, so we would have enough time because they're around Robin and us. So, um, after I won in the semis, I was the, uh, I think I was the second pair down in the semis. Okay. No, the first pair. I, I think it was the first pair down. And then the pair behind me uh, was Matt Antrobius and Andrew Hill. So if Antrobius wins, then I have another heads up in the final. And then um, if Andrew Hill wins, then it, it's where he's a D car, I'm an H car. So it goes back to the, to the bracket style gotcha. of, of stock eliminator. And so, you know, once I knew I made the final, I was like, well, this kind of sucks because <laughs> in, in Thursday of, of class, he went a 1095 and I went 1107. So I'm a little over a 10th behind there. So we just pulled out all the stops I could. I pulled a little bit more weight. We pulled some oil out of it. Um, I aired up the back tires. I chipped it up. Like I, we threw everything at it because this is the final at Indy. Yeah. Um, so the only thing that I thought might be the same grace is that I just came off a heads up. So, and I had everything ready and maybe he didn't have everything quite, um, ready or he didn't have quite enough time to get it chilled down like he wanted to, uh, before, but you know, luckily I, um, we got everything prepared. I had plenty of help in the lanes pushing the car no one realizes how long of a push it is from the back of the stage lane all the way to the front um and luckily i didn't have to push most of that um somebody else did but um but uh yeah it was uh it was a crazy time and then you know you turn off the track and at that point after when i came on i was like please just let me pass scales and fuel check like i just don't want anything stupid to happen so but uh it was a it was a crazy night yeah, no, it's it's an incredible story, and and the video's great, and the fact that uh, you know the internet went melt into meltdown with all the fun memes and everything after was uh, was really really cool, and you know for for the, uh, the races you have won, for the championships you've won, for the races and potentially championships you will win in the future, I just I have to believe that that is something you're going to cherish for as long as you possibly can. Oh, absolutely. A heads up final at Indy, the way it played out with the whole week and, and being perfect in the final, I just really don't know how, how I can, can talk to that one, but hopefully in the future we can do something, uh, pretty great. And, you know, for you, when you make those mechanical changes to the car, where you're talking about, you know, adding air to the tires, you know, uh, changing the chip, doing all that type of stuff. How does that affect you in terms of the starting line? Because you're, you know, you're changing the mechanical uh, aspect of the car. You know, a car that you've been running for rounds on end, and that you become comfortable leaving. You know, do you have to make any adjustments in your staging procedure? Make any adjustments in what you're doing? Because again, you know, foot brake style drag racing here, so you're not dialing numbers into a delay box or whatnot. So once you make those type of mechanical changes, how do you compensate for that on the human side of it? Right. So when you have a heads up, obviously. Like when I went into the water box, as I coast into the water box, because you're trying not to leave this thing running as long as possible. Um, I mean, the the temperature gauge, it's digital. It said 42 degrees. Like that's how cold we had everything. <laughs> wow. So so then I, I do the burnout. You know, luckily I've had heads up races before. I do the burnout with the water pump off, right? So I'm trying to wait as long as possible to get that cold water rushing through the block that was in the in the radiator. Yeah. 
And so, like, you do your burnout, and then you turn the radi- or, uh, turn the water pump on, circulate all the cold water on the two-step, and then you really try and stage pretty quickly because you're trying to keep this thing as cool as possible. Um, and so beyond that, as far as reaction time, when you make a bunch of changes of RPM and tires and the motors cooled down really good, you're kind of guessing. Like if somebody had told me I was triple zero before I saw the time slip, I really wouldn't have believed it because I really thought I was in the 20. Okay. So I was really trying to be 20, 30 on the tree and it had come up triple zero, right? Because when you make all these changes, you're kind of guessing a little bit because you're inherently going to pick up reaction time that you are not aware of. So it, it's very, it's very tough. I mean, I'm very fortunate that it didn't go negative one. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, you've kind of got to sit on the, sit on the break a little bit more than, than you would have in previous rounds. Yeah, it's great, man. It's just it's a fascinating thing for guys that are at your level um, to watch you race and to and to see how you're able to to dial yourself to the car, how you're able to change the car to do what you needed to do in in certain situations. But you know, the thing that continues to fascinate me watching you know championship level competitors in sports from drag racing is their ability to have like this really finite control and finite understanding of how you know even the smallest things that they do physiologically have an effect on what the race car does. And um, it's a tough thing, and it's something that we've always struggled with in drag racing to explain to people about that. And, you know, the more the more conversations we have, like we're having now with you talking about, you know, what just happened on the starting line, I think people really get fascinated by that because it's something that, it's something that we all can relate to in some degree, but to the to the finite level that that you guys are able to do it, it's uh, it's almost superhuman. It's it's nuts. It's, and then when we get to the finish line, that's a whole other kettle of fish. But for people who don't know, what else other than other than stock eliminator style racing, how else do you compete? Um, so I uh, I have another race car. I have a dragster. Um, I've, this is my third dragster that I've had over the years. Uh, my current one. Um, and so I've raced super comp and, um, stock eliminator for the last, since 2008, whatever, 12, 13 years. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, I tour the country as, as much as I can. Um, I usually get a full points, uh, eligible slate of events. So that would include six nationals and eight divisionals, um, Lucas Oil series events. And beyond that, on my off weekends, I try and bracket race when I can. We have a lot of great tracks around us in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and the bracket racing scene has exploded over the last probably three years. And uh, I'm just trying trying to do what I can, but also take off weekends to kind of decompress and, and relax when I can. So, um, you know, we've been been going at it for 15 years now. I'm 30, so I've been in the big cars for almost 15 years. And my mother has a, a 69 Camaro that she races in Super Street, and I usually steal it on the off weekends to go bracket race, but we do it as a family and we have a great time. No, it's great. And your mom is, uh, your mom's one of those great kind of emotive supporters. And she's a very fun person to watch on the starting line because, you know, she wears her emotions on her sleeve and, uh, you know, she, it's, it's really cool because, you know, whenever, whenever you get to see family members on the starting line with a racer, to me, it, it, brings the whole situation to another level because they're a great physical manifestation of, the emotional investment that goes into this sport and to, to, to the people that are competing in it. And so whether it goes your way or not, and in, in any particular round, we know 
exactly how much that one meant to your mom because she does not hide her emotions whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, that's the, uh, I tell everybody all the time, that's what sucks about, about being a racer, right? You don't get to see the reaction when you're in the shutdown of what's happening on the starting line. So that's the kind of part you miss and you hope that, you know, cameras or something can capture it because we don't ever get to see that. We see it afterwards when maybe they've, they've calmed down a, a little bit, but the instant reactions we never get to see. One of the things that uh, I also admire about uh, about you and your career and your involvement in drag racing is that you're also a fan and you're also a guy who loves the history of drag racing and loves the culture of drag racing. And I take nothing away from anybody else because, you know, other anybody who's a top-level competitor, however you approach the sport, you're doing it the right way. But I really am endeared to a guy like you who is – you know, I'm not that much older than you are. We, we're basically from the same from the same era and have a lot of the same type of memories of stuff that we saw growing up as kids. And it's great. I think it, it takes everything to another level when you can appreciate kind of the history of things and kind of the context of what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. I keep a, I keep a log of, of different stuff. I just kind of try and track that stuff. And if I get a weird idea in my head. I was like, well, let's see what the trend over the years has been for that specific thing or who's done this the best or something like that. And like you said, it gives you an appreciation for how our sport has evolved over the years and how racing has evolved. Of all the racers that you get to square up against, whether you're in the super comp car, whether you're in the stock eliminator car, um, who are the top two or three or even the top one? Who is, who is one person that, you know it's going to be a great race. You know you're going to have to bring it all to the table. And I'm not saying you relish beating this person because you don't like them, but you're you're so, it's something when you're able to get around this guy or this girl in eliminations, who is that person that really kind of makes you rise to the next level? The person in Supercomp, I would say, I have two different answers for this. The person in Supercomp would be Tommy Phillips because I think he's one of the best ever to do this. I think he has... 30 maybe 40 national event wins now i can't remember what yeah i'm pretty sure it's, i'm pretty sure it's 40 yeah yeah and he's never won a world championship he has something down like six number two finishes he's he's the uh ron caps of, of sportsman <laughs> right. racing i guess but uh yeah i mean he is so good and so precise and can give you a bunch of different looks and he's from my area so i and I always looked up to him. So anytime that I have to stage against him, you've got to be pretty on your game and make sure you lay down a good run in super comp to get around him. And the person in stock eliminator that I hate racing is Jimmy Hidalgo because, uh, Jimmy Hidalgo jr. Excuse me, the country puppy. And, uh, he is so good. He almost never misses the tree can drive the finish line like no other. And he has so many uh, different tricks in his bag that he can pull out and use. So you never know what you're going to get. And that's, that's the intent of a good racer is you don't know what they're going to do. So you just have to try and confuse them maybe a little bit or get them off their game as much as you can, even though it probably won't happen. Uh, But, but, uh, Jimmy's really good at that, and and I, he's probably a top five in my opinion, stock eliminator racer in the country. That's great, man. Great perspective, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today during our uh, 
during our unforeseen stoppage <laughs> of competition. Yeah. I, you and I are both uh, on the same page, man. Everybody else that uh, loves racing, hope we get back to it soon enough. But Austin Williams, thanks again, man. Multi-time world champion, the dramatic indie winner last year in Stock Eliminator and basically the middle of the night on Monday evening. And um, love your perspective, love the insight, and I think our uh, I think our listeners are going to really like getting uh, a window not only into who you are, but but what it takes to be successful in the world of, uh, of Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series action. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. I appreciate it. All right, man. Be good, and I will see you sooner rather than later. Hopefully. Thanks, man. So that is going to do it for this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A couple of great conversations there. Love catching up with Caps to find out what he's doing, how the iRacing program's going. And, of course, Austin Williams, a great Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series competitor. And what great insight into what it takes to be successful out there and Austin's approach to the sport, as well as the memories of one of the great NHRA U.S. Nationals wins of all time, no matter the category. It's late on Monday night, 10.30. You've been racing since Wednesday. You've been racing since 8 that morning. You've run six rounds in a day, and it comes down to a final round of a heads-up drag race, a car that you have wrenched on, prepared for, something you have planned for in advance, has worked out, and you have used every tool in the box, including a perfect reaction time to win. It does not get scripted any better than that at the movies, and that is what Austin Williams did to the competition, Mr. Matt Antrobius, in the final round at Indy. A memorable round for both men, but certainly the guy holding the Wally gets to claim victory there. Thanks for listening to the NHRA Insider. We'll be back next week. I promise more sportsman conversation, more pro conversation, and maybe even some more breaking news. Stay with us. We'll see you next time.